Today I welcome Daniel Cox, Headmaster, Edgeborough School in the UK. In this episode, I discuss the joys and challenges of a first headship, living into school values, developing a school strategy and vision that gets community buy-in, plus factors defining a legacy of learning. Anyway, congratulations, you are two terms into your first headship. How have you been finding it? And was this always your ambition? Yeah, do you know, it's going really well. I mean, I'm absolutely loving it. It feels like a real privilege to be involved in school leadership. And I think that you go into teaching because you want to influence things in a positive way. You want to try and improve things for children fundamentally. And I think the gift of leadership is the ripples of your impact can go a little bit further because you've got a slightly heavier stone to throw. That's really exciting. It's going well. I mean, it's a bit of a roller coaster. And I think anyone that goes into their first headship and, and sort of presents a facade that it's, it's all very easy and it's taken in their stride is probably not doing the job as well as they should be, or they're probably not telling the truth. There's a lot of challenge, but there is so much, so much joy and light as well. It really does balance it out. And I think that's with any, any shift or change is that if you go into a point of change easily, then it's probably not the right change. You're not, you're, you're not doing it right or you're not feeling right. It's like going onto stage. If you're not nervous, you're probably going to fall. And I had lots of new heads actually on uh, when I started the podcast at the beginning of lockdown. They were about to enter and some of them entered halfway through lockdown. Very different situations, like in particular prep school environment, the challenges. But again, leaders, we're set to overcome this. And actually, that's a test of why you want to be a leader is to kind of, if it's all plain sailing, it's quite boring, actually. You want to be able to test yourself and show that you can solve this problem and get over this hurdle. I mean, what have been your biggest challenges so far? I think the biggest challenge with going into a new headship or a leadership role in the school is that the role is so dependent upon strong relationships with people. And you can't just magic a relationship. It doesn't come from, there's a little bit of credibility from past successes and past roles and, and your career journey to a point, but actually you need to have time in a setting to really get to know people, to get to know the children, to get to know the staff, the parents, the governors. We're at a point now in term two where I sense we're getting real, real sort of traction in that. And there's still work to be done, but I feel like I know the community far better. And therefore, I, I feel like I'm becoming a far more effective leader of it because I understand its quirks and its energies and its challenges as well. So um, I think, yeah, the hardest thing is probably making sure you put yourself out there enough to invest in getting to know the people within the organisation. It's really important. Has anything taken you by surprise? Yeah, loads of things have taken me by surprise, particularly when ISI rung at nine o'clock last Monday morning. I think the big thing that I'm noticing is that when you're a deputy head or you've got a, another role in the leadership team, you're generally playing the ball that's coming towards you or whatever's on your desk. You're playing that immediate reaction. Whereas in headship, you're trying to look two, three, four, five balls further down the track and you're trying to predict what might be coming in six months, 12 months, 18 months time. And I think that's been a really interesting thing for me to try and get my head around that I find I carve out enough time to deal with it here and now to be really present with current issues in the school and what's on the desk, but also finding that space and that capacity to, to really strategize and to look where you want the school to go and to be slightly more proactive than just reactive, I think is really important. Leaders, as you say, take on when you start a new headship or you get into any new role, you've got to balance the energy and the enthusiasm. You want to drive your own vision and change within an organization. But also, you're also mindful that too much change, it kind of unsettles an existing 
community. How have you managed this and have you put in any change at the moment or are you still biding your time to do these? Yeah, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't want to come in and make change for the sake of change. And I'll probably offend lots of people now, but you see lots of cliches of new heads and they change the website, they change the logo and they introduce a new piece of uniform or something to sort of have a, a physical sense of change within the school. But I've managed to avoid all of that. I think there's a balance as well because you do have to progress. And actually, one school year is a long time to sit back and observe because actually the children traveling through the school, that's a, that's a huge chunk of their time with us. So we have been progressive and we have made change. And I guess that's been around really trying to establish the values of the school and the vision of the school and where we want to get to. I think we'll come on to talk about this maybe later, but if you don't have a good compass for navigating your onward journey, unless you know where you want to get to, it's really hard to really be strategic and, and look further down the lens than simply dealing with the day-to-day. So changes have been things around values, publishing vision for the school and sharing vision with the community and things like that. It's been good. It's been an exciting term and a half. I'm a great believer that, that schools need to live into their vision, their values, their mission, their purpose, you know, without it being navel gazing. And it, it just feels, oh, we need to put there because it sounds like a school governance project. What values does Esbra emphasise and how do you live into those values? I was lucky. I had a long lead into my headship. So I had about two terms, almost three terms from being appointed to actually starting in post. And I used that interim time to do lots of work with people, staff and parents looking at the school and the school's values. And the school was in a really positive place. I've come into a school which is in in really good hands. It's in really good parent body, pupil body. So I was coming into a fairly positive field. But what I really wanted to do was to nail down what it was that made Edgeborough special. And I think there's a couple of different things with values. There's some current aspects to that. That's what is the school now? What is it people like about our school? What makes our school special? But then the other side of it is a sense of ambition as well. Where do you want to take the school to? How do we get there and and what does it look like? So we just did a big piece of work and we listened to lots of different voices and we distilled our values down to adventure, responsibility and kindness. And Within those three key pillars, there's sort of other little bits that sort of tie into them. But essentially, we felt that those collective values of eventual responsibility, kindness, we call them our ARC values, really represented what we want our school children, our our children at Edgeborough to journey on when they're with us. And that idea of the ARC as well, and that sort of safe haven for all, and, and, and that sense that that brings as well is also a lovely capture on it. But what's important is they don't just sit there in a prospectus. They don't just sit there on a website as a nod to some sort of sense of, of what we hope we are. So we've really tried to embed them. So we actually have an ARC lesson. So the kids have a timetabled lesson in ARC, which digs into the school values and it ties into our RSE and our PSHE and, and all those other important aspects of the compulsory curriculum. And it brings them under the ARC umbrella. I love the arc, by the way, because it's simple. I'm a great believer of living into your values. You have to. Otherwise, yeah, they can't exist in any marketing collateral or stuff you put out there. Because actually, schools end up saying the same thing. You all sound the same, right? Well, prep schools all sound the same because you're all trying to deliver curiosity, adventure, creativity. But you have to distill them down into something that your community gets. You get and you can drive and lead and your kids need to get it. Your teachers need to steward it. Your parents need to understand it and feel it. And that's a big bit that I drive in all schools anyway, is that how do you get away from the, it's just something we've written. That's something that is not always as easy. I also think you need to get your parent community and your 
staff community to also live by the values. They're not values for the children, they're values for the school. And actually all stakeholders should really recognise them. So in our staff handbook uh, that we give to new staff and they join the school, we talk about school values and we talk about how the fact they're relevant for staff as well as children. And they're powerful. We're at a point now where, where if I walk around the playground, I reckon eight out of 10 children would better tell me what the values are. And, and the two that can't, well, you know, that's probably my children, so that's okay. Yeah, but it's work in progress. The thing is, with any vision stable of values, is it has to be lived in and baked in culturally. So you don't even think about it. You get to see it in action. That's really difficult. So it's got to be constantly living into these things. And the other important thing is obviously with being a prep school is that you're trying to drive them into the like secondary education. Like how does that set them up as their foundation and how do they live into them as they move through the next stage of education? Yeah, well, it's really interesting at prep school level because our values are relevant to two-year-olds all the way through to 13-year-olds. So actually they need to evolve and they need to grow with the children and actually they need to take on different meaning and different weights as those children progress through the school, equally with the staff as well. So my hope is that there is a legacy of their time with us. That surely has got to be what education is, isn't it? I think there has to be a longevity to it. Otherwise, it's just sort of absorbing information. There's got to be that sense of the children leaving us with a conscience that's been developed through their time here and the values they've been exposed to. And they will all journey on to different schools and they will all pick up different values in those new settings. But I hope our fairly simple core of three values forms like a bedrock for them to make their own views and judgment. We talk a lot about our values being responsibility. One of the elements is that is, is showing moral courage, the bravery to step away from the crowd and stand up for your own beliefs and values. And I like to think that if an Edgeborough child has truly embraced adventure, responsibility and kindness, and they're truly embedded in that belief, then they will take them with them and they will be able to stand up for those things they truly believe in when they're in a group of people who perhaps have a different perception on life. And it's particularly important at PrEP because you are the foundation. Do you feel a, an overweighted sense of responsibility because the world is significantly different? Your parents that you get through those doors are that digital native. They're the generation that, that were born with Facebook. And now we've got to steward and understand the changes of the environment to prepare these, these students that you've got at your school. When they leave at 13, what do they then go and do? And are they having the right skills? You talked about moral compass. I think they're brilliant things to do. But do you feel like there's an added sense of responsibility to get it right? Because kids need to be kids and they need to be able to go off and still know that they can stand up and do those things. Yeah. And it's a really important thing to be really conscious of that actually they're on a big journey with us and their developmental years, whether that be emotionally, socially, educationally, as they go from two-year-old at the, at the lower end of the school to a 13-year-old moving on to their senior school, their needs to have different educational experiences, different experiences from us, which prepare them for that onward journey is, of course, absolutely fundamental. One of my big challenges, though, is that we can't just tell them the answer. We can't just be that immediate response. So I, I talk to the staff about the first aid kit versus the tool kit, and we can't be the first aid kit. We can't come in and stick a pastor on a pastoral issue and go, there you go, guys, we're all better now, go out and play. We've got to teach the kids how to solve their own problems and challenges. And that's when you get legacy in education. So if we can teach our kids how to use the tool that we give them, how we can teach them how to solve their own social challenges, how we can teach them how to unlock their own learning in the classroom, that's a legacy which stays with them. That journeys with them. And I think then 
when they leave Edgeborough, Edgeborough doesn't leave them. And that's really powerful for me as a head. I love the first aid kit versus talk. I've just been writing it down. I like it. I like short, snappy analogies that make sense because actually good leaders should be able to distill down complex ideas into something that everybody can distill and put into place. I just, I'd really like that. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Can we just talk about your school strategy and vision? You've come in and obviously you're shaping a new direction. How did you go about that and how important was it to bring along your senior leadership team and all of your staff to help them shape this? I am lucky because I've arrived at a school where I'm building from a position of strength. So that's a real privilege. But to have a clear vision, to have a clear strategy for the school is so important. I think it's particularly important in prep schools where in all candor, it can be very difficult to invest financially into the infrastructure of the building. We're all working on slightly different budgets for that over a long period of time. And as a consequence, you sometimes have fairly uh, sort of knee-jerk projects, knee-jerk reactions to things. And you you sort of have piecemeal development around the sides, or you have slightly incoherent development in educational theory and pedagogy within the school. And that could be a real challenge. So we did a big, big piece of work where we looked at where we wanted the educational provision for the children to go. And I can't highlight enough how important it is that this starts with education. You've got to really nail down what you want the kids to learn why and how you're going to do it. We then took a step back from that and we looked at our school site and we thought about what have we got here that enables this and what have we got here that prohibits this vision from becoming a reality. We brought in a a team of architects and we looked at our school site and we kind of unpicked it and we've come up with a really exciting vision for the school. And in terms of buy-in to that, it's got to be across the board. So The way we've developed it is through staff consultation, feeding into the leadership team, feeding into conversations with governors. And then we've distilled that vision into a really digestible brochure information, which has gone out to the parent community. But it's gone out to the parent community with a message of, this is our vision, but please feed back on it. And we've got a dedicated email address where parents can share views on the vision of the school and where it's heading. I think it's really important that uh, for me as a school leader, that we are public about our vision and we're public about our view. And that's a couple of reasons for that. First one is people are spending an awful lot of money buying into it. So unless you can tell them what it is, I think that you've got a bit of a challenge. And the second thing is, if you don't put your vision out there, somebody else will make it up for you. And someone else will fill that void with their own opinions, their own thoughts, and their own values. And actually, what you want to do is really control that conversation. You want to say, this is us. This is where we're heading. This is how we're going to get there. And at the end of the journey, this is what our school is going to look like. That's really exciting. And actually, people really get on board with that. So that's how we've done it. Thankfully, it's working well at the moment. I know it's early on, but I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. So you're into your first two terms. You're looking ahead. It's exciting times. It's really great to see young, driven, visionary heads taking on these prep schools. In five years' time, seven years' time, whatever that time period is, what do you hope you can look back on and go, we did this? I think legacy for me, I'm not excited by legacy of a building. That just doesn't interest me whatsoever. I think what would really excite me is if the children look back at the school when they've left and they go, wow, I was really happy there. That would be great. I'd love it if I left the school 
or had a school where where we were pretty progressive in our views and education, where we didn't we weren't sort of afraid of being slightly courageous about what we were trying to do because we really believed in it. I think that if I think back to when I first started teaching, sort of seventeen years ago, there's a lot of conversation about evidencing knowledge. You know, stand up and recite things, and the kings and queens of England, the water cycle, was the examples I used. Standing up and reciting your times tables. We've moved away. I hope we're going to move away under my leadership from evidence and knowledge to demonstrating understanding. And I think there's a small difference, but it's a really significant one. So we're not just gaining knowledge, but we're actually demonstrating we understand that knowledge and we can use it and we can manipulate it. And then it's that would be an exciting legacy if we had a school like that. That's what education needs to be. It needs to be fit for purpose and relevant. You know, it can't be by rote. Knowledge is a commodity like oil now. We have access to it and data and information. But what we've got to teach everybody is how to use this and how we can solve problems. I was visiting with a prep school recently, and they are going and building relationships with businesses and solving real-world problems. This is prep school. Right? This is year five and six are going and, and they're inventing drinking straws to help with famine or disrupted water or things. So is that something that you're interested in doing? So bringing more project-based real-world learning into an educational setting at prep level, where they're going around business case presentation, they pick up all those skills, but they're applying it maybe to a global issue, whether it's the G17 stuff and goals for 2030, or is it something more local to you? Yeah, I think it really would. I mean, we follow the PSB framework and, you know, we're really proud to do that. We really believe in it because it suits our toolkit mentality. It suits our weighting towards developing skills and things like that. The idea of children influencing the bigger picture of our community is a really exciting one. What I get really excited about is children having the space and the autonomy to really follow their passions. And we did a um, project qualification with the children each year. And we, we had our first big presentation from our senior pupils in the summer at the end of their projects. And the titles of the projects they looked at were vast, varied, and they were like dissertation level titles, you know, the psychology to improve ballet dancing at the age of 13 and how diet impacts on performance in the classroom. And one child did something on the universe, which I still don't quite understand, but it was incredibly impressive. And, you know, giving them the space sometimes to go, do you know what, guys? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to go and learn? What do you want to go and explore? It's really exciting to think that our kids are gaining the skills, the confidence and the autonomy to go and tackle that kind of challenge and to think strategically about where they can get the information from, how they can manipulate it, how they can demonstrate they understand it and how they can then present that to people like me and the other teachers and their parents in a way which is really captivating. They put me to shame. They really do. We have to push it down to the younger years because they are, they're unbridled with their kind of freedom to be creative, to be adaptive, to think about things. And I, I would bring them into my office to help with brainstorming because they look at things in a completely different way than we do. We've all had it sort of knocked out of us as we get into the hamster wheels of adulthood. I'm going to ask you, what about environments? You talked about obviously a legacy not being about a building. Exactly. It's not about building, it's about an environment. Have you got any progressive ideas or around the site at Edsborough about what you might do inside, outside learning, other learning spaces? It's a big thing for us is this um, sort of cross-curricular learning, like it is in loads of schools as well, because we've finally had this realization that learning and problem solving doesn't happen in isolated sort of pockets around the school. 
So we're doing a lot of work in infrastructure and, and looking at how our site might look to help facilitate that. It's really important. The learning outside the classroom, particularly so with some of our youngest learners, we have our OWL group, our outdoor woodland learning group. My daughter in the pre-prep, she's only three, she's in the preschool and um, she loves it. And she goes out there and she does things which are, which are beyond her comfort zone. She does things that my wife and I would never let her do at home in a very safe and risk-assessed way. But, um, but they, you know, they explore and they have fun. I think that's really, really important. You know, this vision of this romantic idea of like a school without walls where learning doesn't have to happen just in a classroom, but it can kind of happen everywhere. And what you learn in one subject can transfer into another one. And um, the example I always use is, the kid who sits in a science lesson and does a science experiment, and then they, they question the validity and reliability of that experiment. I love the idea they then go to their history class and they get given some evidence and they then use the same perception of validity and reliability to really drill down into how good that evidence is for the judgment they're making in history. And that's really exciting. Then you start to get momentum of that sort of global learning, that broader learning throughout the curriculum is really interesting. Obviously, the transition between a prep school and a senior school is a really important step. We often get caught by passing exams or entry requirements and things. The education you talk about is one that doesn't have that in it because actually we're treating the kids to be individual, to explore, to grow. And sometimes you can't really measure that in a way that is maybe the traditional conveyor belt of 11 plus or 13 plus or whatever it may be. Do you see that being a problem in the future? Will senior schools change their approach or? Or we just have to live with it because that's what parents get. Yeah, and I think this is an exciting thing. If you can have all of this, this is, this is all about how you teach, not what you teach. And I think you can have all of what we want with the rigour of all of that that's required for the onward journey. I think what we've got to start to ask ourselves broadly as educators is what is it that we reward and recognise as success? That's the big question. And if we are going to live forever in a world where we just reward and recognize success at those terminal points of GCSE and A-level as being the grade you get for demonstrating or, or evidencing knowledge, then we're never going to progress. So at our end, what we're trying to do is tweak our framework for assessment. So we do give children grades for independent work, collaboration, for all of those different things. We recognize and reward those as opposed to just giving a, a percentage for attainment and an A to D for effort. And I think that there just has to be a slight culture shift that in being broader and more courageous in the way that you teach doesn't limit what you teach. It doesn't degrade the rigor of what the children learn and how they progress. But to do that, you've got to work out how you capture success in those more gray areas, those hidden areas. And I think that we've made good progress in that here in the last 12 months, 18 months in having a really clear assessment framework, which allows us to put a value on a child's work in collaboration or communication and those kinds of things. So it's really important we don't just talk about it, but we feedback on it and we share tangible information on it. I thoroughly enjoyed the time we've had today. I think your first two terms have been pretty staggering, to be honest, and uh, I bet your parents and your community are delighted that you're at the helm. It's an exciting time. I look forward to seeing the journey that Edgeford does under your leadership. And if I'm traveling down past Guildford towards the coast, I'll give you some notice. I'd love to come and have a look around. Very welcome to visit any time you like. And I, I feel incredibly lucky to be in such a, a happy, happy school. It really is a privilege. So, and thank you for your time. 
You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.